0: Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit, and Lord, as we explore this idea of hospitality, Father, I pray that as a church community, as individuals, uh, that this would be something that we would be known for. Lord, I pray that, that we would grow in our hospitality, our love of hospitality, uh, and of doing it with a, a kingdom mindset, uh, a kingdom vision towards this. We are so very grateful. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So the past couple weeks have been reflecting, of course, on, on hospitality. Um, and it's been fun. I mean, many times I have enjoyed really good hospitality, right? Like great food and fun and friends and laughter and board games or whatever else, right? Like just a lot of times I know that I've enjoyed really good hospitality. But when I, I sat down to really think through, like, okay, what are... What are notable times of hospitality that that I have experienced what was interesting is that the ones that are still in my memory are the ones where I was actually like in a low place or in a hard place and someone in some capacity really almost like cared for me in in, in that space um, and and It wasn't always in their home i mean some and have been tried to reinforce this hospitality doesn't always happen in the home sometimes it was elsewhere but but those are the stories that i remember now years later about really good hospitality so we're in this sermon series called challenge accepted and we're looking at kind of uh, different spiritual disciplines um, every different month and so january was fasting February we looked at messy prayers March we looked at loud tables and then for this month we're looking at open doors or the idea of, of hospitality uh, and last week was Easter and so a significant part of that message was kind of examining like is is there kind of a, um, a like an intersection or an overlap between the idea of salvation and hospitality and, and does salvation involve an element of hospitality and The answer is actually a a very strong, resounding yes, right? From our perspective, salvation is entering in, right? Or being saved and then, you know, being forgiven, given a new life, a new purpose, receiving the Holy Spirit. From our perspective, not a whole lot on hospitality. But from heaven's perspective, from God's perspective, salvation involves preparing a place to receive people. Um, Jesus talks about this. I go to prepare a, a place for you right and and then pursuing people chasing them down offering them relationship Offering them freedom offering them what they need and then welcoming them into something and so from heaven's perspective salvation is really the the premier act of hospitality um, but we didn't just stop there because the I, I, I think so often when we think of hospitality we think well I need to have someone in my home and serve them food and that's it like that's all we picture and so examining Was Jesus able to extend hospitality during his ministry even though he was homeless and frequently on the move? And really he did in and G- how Jesus treated people. He was still able to create that atmosphere of hospitality being transient and and being homeless um, and so this has been a fun week reflecting on Stories in my life where I was impacted or, or blessed by someone's hospitality. Eric a um, Few years older than me, knew him in, in Abbotsford. Um, and, and this was a man who understands grief. His brother had been killed in, in a car accident. Uh, his brother was in his low 20s, left behind a widow, just really hard story. And, and I was in a low spot, and Eric saw it immediately. I, I, I think just his own dealings with grief, like he could now see it in others, uh, just so quick. Um, I have no idea why I was at his house, but I was at his house for some reason. Um, had a good, he invited me to stay for lunch. And it was, you know, lunch was like open the fridge door and just like pull out random food items and put, I don't know, there was like a sausage log and a hunk of cheese, maybe some fruit, right? Like, I mean, it was like bachelor style lunch. And uh, it was was still really delicious though. Um, And we just had a a good conversation. He asked me questions, talked to me, listened to me. And 10 years later, I can still picture that table. Uh, another time, it, it kind of around that same season of life, getting invited to a men's retreat um, out on this island. The, the, there's all kinds of islands there on the, uh, on the west coast of Canada, Pender Island, beautiful home, no cost to me. They, they invited me, said, don't worry about it. There was a, I never met this couple, but I just heard this story, and it's just kind of always recalibrated my understanding of hospitality. Um, but apparently this couple who I don't even know their name they would you know like invite you for Sunday lunch or that kind of thing And then they would feed you but then they would pull out like uh, like deck chairs Like like kind of like, you know, like those like full body like lounging chairs that you put in the backyard or by the pool They would pull those out and set them up in the living room and they would say you take a nap and we'll wake you up in a couple hours I was like whoa that geez,
1: whoa, that's
0: hospitality, right? Hard Rock Cafe, Paris. Um, Doing the the Europe tour with Doc Kyle, we had spent a couple days in Paris, which was awesome. Lots of pretty buildings. Uh, Of course, no one speaks English or they don't speak English to you or that kind of thing. And uh, we were just kind of tired, worn out. We had been there for, for a few days. We wanted to go to Hard Rock Cafe. This waitress greeted us at the door. Great English, took care of us. You know, just very energetic, just made us feel welcome, um, fantastic hospitality. I remember first day of soccer practice, freshman year, new school, didn't know anybody, and Jason came up and introduced himself to me and welcomed me there. Um we had I had a coworker. Uh, They're in Abbotsford. Uh, welcoming attitude. We went. We went over their house several times um, over the course of the years. They they had this amazing like honey mustard salmon thing that they would do on the grill. And the first in one of the first few times, like they made it for us, and they noticed that we enjoyed it. And so several times after that, whenever they would invite us over, they would make that same meal because they had paid attention and knew that that was something that 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 we really enjoyed, right? There was another guy by the name of Victor Hamm. He Victor Ham used to, he, he worked with, um, at Billy Graham Association with Billy and Franklin for years, and then retired and came t- and worked at Multiply for a while, and I, I don't know why. He had all kinds of crazy stories, and then he got bored and restless and went back. And it was fascinating because, I don't know what part of, 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 um, uh, of the funeral it was, but I remember on the TV looking up, and I was like, oh, that's Victor Ham at, at, at the pulpit. Um. And, he, like, I was a bachelor and, you know, he was, Victor had just kind of come into the office recently and invited me over to the house and told me some stories and how are you doing and how are you doing financially and are things okay and all this kind of stuff. And, and what's interesting is I was reflecting on, on these stories, like, I got a lot out of these, out of these events But if I'm brutally honest, like, for the host, like, there was nothing in it for them. Like, when I reflect, right, like, because I was a bachelor, I was in a hard place, or I, you know, like, I, you know, I don't have a lot, like, they're not courting me for, like, political favors, right? Like, the best I can offer is that you're a sermon illustration 15 years later. Like, that's what I got, you know? But, so for them, like, there was nothing in it for them other than just by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working and moving in their life, they decided, hey, that person there that can't ever repay me for this, I'm going to extend to them hospitality. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to connect with them. I'm going to, I'm going to see how they're doing. I'm going to invest some time or, or finances or food or money into their life just because the Holy Spirit is compelling me to do so. For this sermon series, uh, we've been referencing a book called The Spiritually Vibrant Home for part of it. Uh, so Barna Research Group and Luther and our ministries partnered together, did a bunch of research. They wanted to know, like, what are the markers of a spiritually vibrant home? So they identified, like, all these spiritually vibrant homes, and they had sti- statistical markers for it. And then they interviewed over 1,000 families or a couple thousand families, looked for similarities and uh, the third one that, you know, we, we talked about the other two, uh, the messy prayers um, and, uh, and the loud tables, and then the open doors. The, the third one, the third marker they identified revolved around hospitality. And of all their findings, this is the one that surprised me the most, but I've been the most excited to, to dive into um, with you. Uh, starting with some of the research that, that they found, uh, the first finding was that hospitality is connected to God's mission. Uh, and when I first read that, I thought, oh, isn't that kind of more of a theological position? I, you know, but, um, but it was common ground they found, and at one point they, he said this, he goes, a sense of responsibility to uh, tell others about one's Christian's beliefs is common among those who have regular guests. And as we've already said, right, like salvation is heaven's version of, of hospitality, right? So it's really not that surprising that if someone who is concerned about your salvation will express part of that concern through the act of hospitality. Like it, it's not, it, that, that's not a, a far reach. Um, John Piper has this blog post, one, I just love the title of it, um, called Strategic Hospitality. But then he, de- he describes it like this. He goes, what I mean by strategic hospitality is a hospitality that thinks strategically and asks, how can I draw the most people into deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home or my church home? Who might need reinforcements just now in the battle against loneliness? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? strategic hospitality is not content to just have the old clan for dinner again and again. Good hospitality can certainly be, you know, food and and fun and friends. But good hospitality is also a tool in your toolbox that is excellent at expressing and expanding the kingdom of God. And I think there are probably, I have a theory that, that there are probably quite a few people um, who have never fully realized hospitality's like kingdom potential. Like it's been something that we've done with friends, but we haven't fully realized the, the kingdom potential of good hospitality. Finding one, hospitality is connected to God's mission. Finding two, hospitality strengthens faith formation. The authors wrote, faith formation is connected to an increase with a spirit of hospitality. Welcoming households are prone to foster spiritual development more than non-welcoming households. It's interesting, they, they, they talked about this a little bit, but you know with children, right? I mean, you have about 18 years, and sometime at the beginning, you know, the approach is like, well, we need to protect them from all the evils and trials and temptations of the world. But then, by year eighteen, there's this sense of like, well, we're releasing them into the world, and we're just hoping and praying that they're ready for everything, right? And they're equipped to handle all the evils and temptations of the world, you know. Within that, well, what's interesting is that if you if you read the research and if you read in the chapter, well-meaning parents have overprotected. Or oversheltered and inadvertently weakened the very faith they were trying to preserve. That was that was in the chapter. That's not me. Like that was some what they wrote up on this. And and it's a very nuanced discussion, so I I I do I, I recognize that and I, don't, I don't want to be careful of that. But at one point they he writes this. He goes, Isolation is actually a risk factor for spiritual vibrancy. And I it is my prayer that this church never has a faith that is marked by isolation and fear. But rather that for us as a church our faith is marked by boldness, by courage, by the spoken word and by serving hands. That we are not a church marked by isolation and fear, but that we are a church whose faith is marked by boldness, courage, the spoken word, and serving hands. Okay, finding one, hospitality is connected to God's mission. Finding two, hospitality strengthens faith formation. Finding three, hospitality enlarges the extended household in helpful ways. Um, They describe households with outside voices, households with outside voices are more likely to have a vibrant faith than those who do not have outside guests. Not sure that's written most clearly, but you're tracking with it. That's fascinating. Households with outside voices, with outside voices, are more likely to have a vibrant faith than those who do not have outside guests. So it, you know, on, on, on rare occasion, we'll maybe have a guest speaker or, like, we'll have, like, a missionary come through, right? And we have a couple of missionaries we support, and, like, they're back in town, like, every two, three years, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And in the past, like, you know, missionaries come through. Like, it, you know, it's been kind of a pretty casual thing, and I don't know, maybe Joe and I ask one or two other people to host them or, We host them just because it's fun or, you know, that kind of thing and and haven't been really strategic. But if this sentence is true, if this is true, as soon as word goes out that so-and-so is back in town, like my phone should be going berserk with text messages and voicemails of families arguing over who gets to host them next. Right? Like, you know. Our turn don't so-and-so you they got to do it last time it right like you've seen children fight over candy Right kind of like that only it's adults fighting over the missionaries whoever's coming into town If if this is true Then that should be our attitude when when someone's coming in The raw August are coming in the summer um Hosting is not just like food and a bed, right? Hosting is our family gets exposure, and that exposure will grow our faith. Hospitality is connected to God's mission. Hospitality strengthens faith formation. Hospitality enlarges the extended household in helpful ways. Finding for spiritually vibrant homes rely on one another. Uh, they write this uh, people in spiritually vibrant homes are more likely to depend on others for help. They're more likely to depend on others for practical help, and they're also quicker to name either family or non family members as people they go to for advice or encouragement. 1 Corinthians 12 has this fantastic section. Uh, really, it, it's on spiritual gifts, and it's really probably the most thorough explanation of spiritual gifts, but Paul uses the the interconnectedness, the the interdependence of the human body to describe the church. And I I find the whole passage just fascinating. But this idea that we are all different, we all have strengths, and we all have weaknesses, but we need each other so that we can collectively, we can function like a a healthy church. I want to read through this with you. 1 Corinthians 12. And there's kind of a significant difference or shift between the, the first uh, paragraph and, and the second paragraph. In the first part, you'll notice in verse 15, and the question is who rejects who? And you see in verse 15 that the person is rejecting themselves or they're withdrawing themselves. Verse, uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Now listen to the wording on this. If the foot should say... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Okay, so the foot is speaking to itself. Paul writes that would not make it any less part of the body. Um, and if the ear should say, "Well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear? Where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Okay, verse 20, or verse 21. Now look at the shift on, again, on kind of who's rejecting who. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's all kinds of great examples of that. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts, are treated with greater modesty, but our more presentable parts do not require it. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parties that that lacked it, uh, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Finding one, hospitality is connected to God's mission. Finding two, hospitality strengthens faith formation. Uh, finding number three, hospitality enlarges the extended household in helpful ways. Spiritually vibrant homes rely on, e- on others. Finding number five, some people struggle with hospitality. That one made me laugh. I was like, yeah. Uh, uh, introverts, people who have been burned by others, uh, temperament, those more fearful, uh, or those even living in hostile or unsafe environments. Right. As we just said, um, all of us are gifted differently. Same is true for hospitality. It's interesting because some people have, have actually speculated or wrestled with whether or not hospitality is actually kind of its own spiritual gift. The, the wording where hospitality is, is named is, is a little bit vague on that one, so it, it's not as clear. But, but to just recognize that hospitality is hard for some people, right? Um, and I get that. It doesn't make hospitality less valuable and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it and really have tried to reinforce this idea, again, you know, that when we think hospitality, we tend to think people, bringing people into the home, but that's not always the case and there are other expressions of hospitality that don't necessarily involve bringing someone into the home. Um, but, but, But we need to just be careful, you know, not to reject hospitality. The... Again, you know, not really sure how to, how to read too much into this, but, I, you know, I was thinking on, on that last one, uh, you know, people living in hostile or unsafe environments. And in many ways, that's the, that's the Mennonite story, right? Like Mennonite as a people group, you know, you go back far enough in history, you had a group of people, um, common theology, but it was persecuted by outsiders, and so they, you know, lived together for several generations in, in communities and kind of became their own people group several went to Russia under Queen Catherine isolated living amongst themselves hospitality to others was dangerous or difficult but then what happened 1860 a group of people said we have become spiritually dormant spiritually apathetic we need revival and the Mennonite brethren are born isolation is not healthy I now view strategic kingdom oriented hospitality kind of like evangelism in that we are all called to it. We all have a responsibility to engage in it in some capacity, but at the same time, we recognize that some people are really, really good at it and some people struggle with it, right? Like we can just, we can recognize that. Some are great, some struggle, but in a sense, we are all called to this. Um, And, yeah, and for some, hospitality is going to be easy, and for some, it's just going to require a little bit more strategy or intentionality, that kind of thing. And and to have an awareness of our own barriers to hospitality. There's actually a lot of scripture that references hospitality. Um, I mean, if you just do a search on hospitality in scripture, you do find some stuff. But if you actually go through and look for stories on hospitality... I mean, it, it, it's all over. Um, there are two, uh, so I, I wanted to focus in on, on just two sections, though, of hospitality, because uh, I was looking for, is it involved in, like, faith formation or Christian character or that kind of thing, so two passages. In his letter to Titus, Paul gives some of the qualifications for elders in the church, and there's a lot of good things that are named. If you want to be an elder of the church, like you need to be above reproach, and husband of one wife, and children are to be believers, and that kind of thing. So Paul names some stuff, and then there's a section right around verse 7 where he names, okay, here's some bad things, and you should not be those, and here's some good things, and you should be those. And of the good things that he names, the first one he mentions, hospitality, hospitable. Um, Titus 1, verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward it must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, but... Hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able, to be able to give instructions and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I don't know why, but it seems like in all the discussions I've, I've had or like books I've read around church leadership, hospitality doesn't get mentioned much. And now I'm wondering why. Like it, it seems like such a cornerstone for, for good Christian character. The other one that I would mention it actually pertains to widows. So Paul's writing to Timothy. Apparently they had a lot of widows, so they needed some kind of system to determine who could receive aid from the church, who could not receive aid from the church, um, that kind of thing. 1 Timothy 5.10, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age Having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to the good works. Again, we see that hospitality is a core aspect of good Christian living. Next weekend, um, I'm gone. I have some USMB board meetings in, in San Diego, and Joe's going to go with me. So. Um, I've arranged, I've asked Leroy Gertzen, he's going to cover the pulpit next week. Uh, but the week after, uh, we're going to pick up on this again, look at some more scripture, also lots of practical advice on, on expressing hospitality. Uh, didn't include it in today's just for a sense of time and um, have already talked about uh, a lot of other stuff. But, but I would say this, that for me, I would say like my, my journey on this, that I totally missed the significance and the power and even the symbolism that is wrapped up in good hospitality. For, for most of my life, I have seen hospitality as just some kind of maybe like accessory to Christian living and whatever. Some people are good at it and some people are bad at it and whatever. But I, I really didn't see the, the, the kingdom impact and the powerful like kingdom tool at our disposal in good hospitality. And that has, my view on that has totally changed. And so my hope and prayer for you is that that your understanding is is kind of a similar trajectory as mine and just completely rethinking this idea of hospitality. Salvation is heaven extending hospitality towards us. Hospitality was a necessary character trait to be a leader in the church. Hospitality was a necessary life skill if you wanted to be considered a good Christian widow worthy of receiving aid, hospitality is good for your kids, hospitality is good for your faith development, hospitality is linked to the overall mission of God, and hospitality strengthens us as a church that is interdependent upon one another. And we will get real practical in in the weeks to come, Uh, not enough time today, but, but just for now... My hope and prayer is that your heart is captured at the incredible kingdom potential available to you through the giving and the receiving of hospitality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I am in awe of your scripture, of your word, of its cohesiveness. God is, In ways that we have failed in hospitality, Lord, we repent for that and apologize. Lord, I pray that we as a church are known by our hospitality, that we are known for our boldness and our courage, for our spoken word by our serving hands. Lord, it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can see a person and, and give to them, even when it costs us. And so, Lord, we ask for, for transformation wherever it needs to take place, whether it's in our own lives or culturally a, as a church, as a body, but, Lord, that, that we would be marked by hospitality, and that as a result of that, that you would be glorified and that people would be drawn closer to you.